Before we get started, this is a free event and there will be a recording available. So feel free to share the link to your friends and colleagues. And if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, make sure to sign up for our newsletter so you get notification for our upcoming events. And there will be a Q&A session at the end. So if you have any questions for our panelists, feel free to type it in the chat box and we will answer your questions at the end. And now I'm going to let our moderator load in to take it over and let the speakers introduce themselves. Thanks, Menjo, and thanks um, for the opportunity to do this. We're really excited. We have a lot of Pacific Northwest people on the call, and I think a lot of experience, expertise. And to start, why don't we give um, introductions? So from my screen, I see Regina in the, the top right. You want to go ahead and give a background and where you work? Yeah, of course. Um, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Minja, for setting this up for us to share something about uh, Pacific Northwest, the commercial real estate in the market. And my name is Regina Wong, and I'm originally from China. I came to the States in 2009 to pursue my graduate study at USC. And two years after that, I went up to the Bay Area, California, to start my commercial real estate career. That's my first job in a boutique commercial real estate firm in Milpitas, based in Milpitas, South Bay. After that, my family moved up to Seattle. That's how I continue moving up <laughs> to the Pacific Northwest. And so I've been with CBRE for two years with the DSF, Debt Instructor Finance Group, which is one of the three major business units at CBRE Capital Markets. So we arrange financing, debt and equity financing for commercial real estate, either development project or permanent financing, bridge financing, um, et cetera, et cetera. So. Nice. So you've been pretty much Pacific um, all your life, right? Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ever since 2009. <laughs> yeah. Do you have to make it up to Vancouver next? Um, yeah. Vancouver up. <laughs> Probably, not. Probably not. Not yeah, in the plan. Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, Garrett, do you want to go next? Yes, well, a pleasure to be here. Thanks, everyone. Looking forward to this. And yeah, I'm Garrett L. Conan, and I work for Holland Partner Group, who's a, uh, a vertically integrated commercial real estate investment company. Uh, so we have five business units. So one is development, the second is construction, management, redevelopment, and acquisitions. And since the GFC, uh, we've been mainly focused on development in the West Coast. So we have six different offices. So I'm local here in the Puget Sound area. And then we have uh, the Portland office, the Denver office, LA, San Francisco, and San Diego. Nice. I like it that you're using uh, Puget Sound. I think that's Amazon's new, they don't call themselves Seattle anymore, right? So it's Puget Sound. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Tyler. Hey, everyone. Thanks for uh, having me on. So I'm Tyler Barth. I handle investments for Kilroy Realty in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm the investment lead here, handle acquisitions, dispositions, anything related to large scale leasing that has a kind of a financial analytical component. I'll jump in and get involved. So Kilroy is a West Coast based office and life science uh, focused real estate investment trust. We've also got a little bit of residential throughout our portfolio up and down the coast. And in Seattle, we've got about 3 million square feet of mainly office life science product locally, um, kind of split between Seattle and Bellevue markets. 
and uh, kind of what we've been up to recently. In 2019, we acquired a large site, mixed-use site with about a million square feet of office that we can build and uh, you know, 550 plus unit residential tower site downtown Seattle. And we most recently, just a couple months ago, closed on our acquisition of West 8th. That's an off-market deal that we sourced uh, Amazon lease right across from kind of the Amazon spheres and Amazon headquarters that we purchased for $490 million and closed on that recently. So anyway, I'm really focused on continuing to grow in the Pacific Northwest and I'm really excited to, to be part of such an exciting market up here. Thanks, Tyler. And a little bit of background for me. I work at Ani. Um, we are a small developer in uh, in Seattle. We have a, quite a bit moving across the West Coast, based in Vancouver, and grown into Seattle, LA, Chicago, Phoenix. So very West Coast focused, um, and very mixed use. So every asset type. But so to kind of get this rolling. Um, I could also add, Logan, I forgot yeah. that, yeah, I'm on the development side of, of the business and all the different units, and we specialize in uh, multifamily, but do a little office as well when it's uh, has some best use and, and needed. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I should have mentioned development team as well. So we have a pretty good mix here. And obviously, Seattle has been a pretty hot market. I think we have quite a few people on the, the East Coast, and Seattle probably pops up on the radar quite a bit. And I'm curious, like, why, why do we think, or why has that been, right? So what's, what's a market overview? Why has Seattle been such a, a hot market for investment from a, across the country and actually internationally? I don't know. Any thoughts? I'd say it's in the employer landscape, it's kind of a battle for talent. And so that's uh, where you want to be. So I'll hand it off to Mr. Office, uh, Tyler Barth. Yeah, you know, definitely it's something that we're excited about as a company. And as I mentioned, we have both kind of Seattle and Bellevue assets, we kind of view the region as a whole and kind of the flywheel of talent that, that we're seeing up here. You know, the growth in Seattle from companies like Amazon is certainly benefiting, obviously, Bellevue and the spinoffs over there. Obviously, Microsoft has been here and been a major force for a long time. Um, and then, you know, it's really exciting to kind of see you know, now whether it's people breaking off of those companies and starting their own, we're tracking venture capital funding and it's absolutely ramping up up here. We're finally starting to see the Seattle life science market start to run. Historically, there's been just kind of a supply constraint issue with all the tech taking up all the life science space. But now we're really starting to see some good life science leasing and some life science supply being added. You know, in addition to that, Seattle has really become the hub for, for the cloud, as well as artificial intelligence is, you know, heavily involved here with what they're doing at University of Washington, the Allen Institute, et cetera. So between all of those different components, we're absolutely seeing the major job growth. We're tracking job postings, job listings, especially over the past 12 months. You know, Seattle is absolutely leading the charge in, in terms of kind of the markets that we're tracking in terms of new jobs added since the pandemic and certainly overall jobs as a percentage of the total metropolitan area. Yeah. So, so if we're looking at Seattle and comparing it to, to maybe some other large markets, established markets, right? Even more established. I think uh, Seattle is kind of emerged as a, a tech hub, but if you're comparing it to maybe San Francisco, what does Seattle have going for it? Would you say? I can jump in and then Regina and, and Garrett, you, you can follow along, but um, Given the fact that I also cover a little bit of the Bay Area for us, Kilroy have some some interesting context back and forth. And obviously, the biggest thing that people kind of 
point to, you know, is just the occupancy cost and cost of living. And granted, you know, every market is certainly having some increased cost of living and, and the challenges that come along with that. But from an office space perspective, let's just say in Seattle, if you've got trophy class A space, you might be $50, $55 triple net plus, let's call it $15 to $20 of OPEX. In San Francisco, historically, you know, you'd be looking at call it $70 plus with $25 plus triple net. So, you know, if you're a company and looking at occupancy costs, granted, that's not the cost of their people is a lot more important than the cost of their office space for these large tech providers that we track. But that continues to be a relative value proposition in Seattle. Um, And then, yeah, just also send Garrett and Regina, you can speak to this too, but cost of living, you know, with no state income tax, et cetera, is also a big factor. Yeah, I wanted to add on that point. If you guys can see my screen, I look into the CBRE's annual scoring tech talent report, which, I, by the way, I recommend you guys read it. It's a very comprehensive analysis of the you know labor market conditions for you know 15 markets in the U.S. and Canada. Give us a lot of insights for both investors, you know, occupiers, et cetera, et cetera. So on this chart, you can see San Francisco Bay Area and Seattle are, you know, the top two markets for good quality of talents and also, you know, just good quality. And in the next slide, I can show you that just based in the Puget Sound uh, market, these are the large employers. Amazon, Microsoft, we briefly talked about earlier. And, you know, Seattle has been constantly ranked like number one or number two, the most talented city, uh, talented city in the U.S., just because a lot of the professional. So just because we have the highest percentage of, you know, bachelor's degree or higher talents here in this market. And Tyler mentioned the San Francisco and the Seattle we actually see a lot of migration from San Francisco to the King County in the last year. You can see them in this chart, like about 6,000 migration from San Francisco to Seattle. And in reality, the cost of labor, um, the cost of office space is much cheaper in terms of dollar per square foot. Um, yeah, so Seattle is like number two in the overall ranking, overall score for the talent. Number one is still San Francisco. <laughs> um, for, tech, for tech, right? For tech, yeah. This yeah. Is report is heavy, heavily concentrated on tech sector. You can see in the growth, the tech, the, the population growth in the tech industry between 2015 and 2020, it's been like 35% growth. Yeah, if I could is, add on to that, I think that the... Yeah. The outdoor space and the open space really attracts people for that quality of life experience. And so that's something that Seattle and the greater um, King County area really has a lot of. <laughs> Adds to it. Yeah. 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 How, how would you say that it's changed in the last five to 10 years? Like, has it, has, could you, can you tell a significant difference? I, I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I moved to Seattle in 2014, 2015. So I've got probably a good, you know, view of the last five years of how it's changed. When I first moved up, Amazon had kind of started really growing and, and exponentially exploding with their office space moving into South Lake Union. It had just gone through an up zone, really started to see that area change. So that whole area and where Kilroy has focused a lot of our portfolio and our growth has absolutely changed and transformed. I mentioned this and we can 
get into this in varying degrees, but you know, with that growth has certainly come challenges for the region, especially on the Seattle side from a housing affordability and homelessness issue. And so that's something that you can definitely see now in Seattle, you know, certain areas it's, it's more visible than others. In Bellevue, we've seen a massive explosion with Amazon leasing, you know, two, three million square feet, taking down some own space over there as well. So those are kind of the most notable ways in which I've seen the area grow and transform. But I think it continues to become, uh, you know, an exciting, vibrant place to live as these people come. So there's a spinoff of, you know, additional restaurants, you know, obviously the new key arena and, and the hockey team is exciting. So I think it's, it's, absolutely continuing to revitalize, you know, the area and, and add new different amenities, things to do, et cetera. I think from a, a real estate perspective as well, the capital markets view of Seattle, you know, 10 years ago to today, I would say is vastly different. I wasn't here 10 years ago, but I do see the, <clears throat> the KKRs of the world, Fish and Spire coming in to build office space, Brookfield. I mean, they're really interested in this market for those major uh, tech employers that are here and expanding rapidly, even throughout the pandemic. So it's, it's definitely become a global city all across the board, whether it's Bellevue or Seattle in both the residential space as well as the office space. Yeah. So, so to kind of add to that, Amazon, I think, is has more office space in the next, what, the next 50 companies combined in Seattle. And I think that they're looking to to grow in this region, but maybe not Seattle as much, right? And maybe announce 25,000 new jobs in the next five years in on the east side. Um, how does that, does that, does that raise any concerns as far as development, what you're looking at for office space within Seattle, Bellevue? Where's, where's the growth? Where do you see it? Housing crisis. Housing <laughs> crisis. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, right? If, if you're, if you're a person looking for an apartment, how does that impact you? And if you're looking for office, uh, maybe, maybe start with that office, Tyler, where have you seen most of the growth um, in the Seattle region? Yeah, definitely. Well, again, we're focused on both areas, you know, just because of some specific, really well-located opportunities. We've recently had more activity from the acquisition standpoint on the Seattle side of the water, but we're always looking at stuff in Bellevue and have historically been the second largest landlord over there as well. We're seeing crazy things happening in the Bellevue market, obviously with the development sites, you know, pricing has doubled, maybe even tripled since when I started at Kilroy in 2017-2018, just for land. And so uh, on the rent side, we've got some great second-gen office buildings over there, and we've seen absolutely skyrocketing rents for that space as Amazon continues to kind of take up big blocks of space, Amazon, Facebook, and others, frankly. And so that's been really exciting over there on that side of the market. And I think when you look at the stats, obviously that's where the growth really has been focused. Um, to your question about Amazon and their growth kind of in the region as a whole, it's obviously something we're tracking and, and very closely watching Amazon's relationship with the Seattle City Council and mayor. And I'm really hopeful that as the result of this upcoming election, the two factions will be able to work together to help solve some of the region's issues as opposed to finger pointing. But, you know, overall, we still see, regardless of what Amazon does in the near term, you know, they've got a huge footprint over here. We don't see that necessarily changing, you know, their own headquarters is global headquarters right around where some of Kilroy's assets are is about 4 million square feet. And we think they're going to, you know, they, they own it. They're probably going to stay there. And so, 
Regardless of what they do, though, in the immediate area, companies still want to be in Seattle. We're starting to see some large tech requirements come back, specifically focused on the Seattle side. I think we're going to see some good news coming from some of the large users here in the next, call it, I don't know, 90 to 120 days in terms of some leasing activity, which is really exciting. And, and I think, you know, I've heard other people in the industry put it well. The, the cultural hub of the region is is more or less based in Seattle, right? You've got the arenas, the stadiums, the theaters, museums, et cetera. And, and, and those aren't going anywhere. They're still going to be focused there. And as a result, people are still going to want to be there and live there. So from an office perspective, that's absolutely something that's interesting. And, and Garrett, maybe you have feedback on this because I know you guys have some projects out on the east side as well as in Seattle. But it is sort of interesting when you look at housing and the number of units that are being delivered on the Seattle side and then multifamily units on the east side. And then take it a step further, single family homes. It is going to be interesting to see as Bellevue's development pipeline, which you know currently has a number of million square feet under construction, and then call it a 10, 12 plus million square foot pipeline. As those are added over there and employees come into that area, I'm just kind of curious from a, a supply standpoint for housing, if they're going to be able to find that housing on the east side or if they're going to be you know, living on the Seattle side, commuting over. Regardless of where that all shakes out, I think that both areas benefit for sure. Yeah, I mean, like you alluded to, Seattle is the cultural hub and there's a lot going on in Seattle. So <clears throat> even when those employees are working on the east side, it's going to be interesting to see if they choose to live over there or in Seattle, because eventually in 2024 and uh, 2023, the light rail will be able to connect both regions. Um, so they will have the option. But yes, definitely on the east side, there seems to be a lot more demand. And especially in the future, when Facebook starts to occupy and, and Amazon starts to occupy their space, when compared to the residential apartment and just the, the timelines for development are getting extended. And so that's going to delay the introduction of new units into the market as well. Yeah, I think I read something about 5,000 new units coming online in the next next year. How does that, how do you, how do you see that? I think you guys have a couple towers completing here soon. And so uh, do you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you <laughs> walk away from each other? Yeah. How do you look at that? Is it, do you think it'll get absorbed? Do you think there'll be a lot of concessions or what are you guys looking at there? Yeah. So for the audience, there's about, there is seven high rise towers, about 440 feet, all within maybe a less than a 10 block uh, radius for sure in the South Lake Union neighborhood, varying timelines, but majority will be delivered. Well, they'll all be delivered within the next two, two and a half years. And so I think it's kind of yet to be determined with when Amazon employees and employees go into the office. Uh, leasing activity picks up heavily when Amazon makes an announcement such as returning to the office and, and declines significantly when they pull back. And so I think going forward, whether it's you know any development is gonna be closely watching the future occupancy of offices. Yeah. Yeah, I would say we've definitely seen that as well. And then looking at when when that's going to come back and really ramp up. But with that, I think the pipeline, once once that completes, I, I think there's maybe a lag, right? There's there's maybe some halt with COVID. So do you think it'll more or less spike or where, where do you see it? Maybe the trend going? Do you think we can surpass San Francisco rents at some point? Well, I think what, what is good is the fact that the the rents have surpassed pre-COVID levels. 
And so that, that happened pretty significant or pretty rapidly during the first half of this year. There was a significant absorption of residential units in anticipation of kind of going back into the office. And, and that's definitely slowed down since the January 1st deadline or uh, postponed. And then Microsoft as well, what they announced. Um, but yes, in terms of projects that were set to start and then COVID occurred, they, the vast majority have not started. So that would definitely allow rents to, to grow during that period and after the deliveries. Yeah, yeah. And and then looking at kind of the future, right? So and where does that grow if we've kind of spoke or talked about Seattle, Bellevue, and how infrastructure maybe is going to help support the growth? What do you think? And this is, maybe we'll start with Regina. What do you think Seattle, Bellevue looks like in, in 20 years? Do you think? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. it's a long time. Um, yeah, you can, and you guys know that uh, there's a light rail expansion project that's ha- has been going on for quite a few years, and it's a very, you know, large system that can really help drive, you know, the um, can really help, yeah, to help us to solve some of the community issues, housing issues, because people are able to live in the broader area, like, you know, suburb, King County, uh, Kitsap County, and just Snohomish County. As you can see in this map, the whole light rail expansion is started from north, will expand to Everett to the north, and south can be expanded to Tacoma. So we just had a open in Northgate recently in October, and it's also continued to expand on the east side to Bellevue and Redmond, and hopefully in 20 years also extended to Issaquah. So this will help tremendously. Yeah, yeah, I think Seattle's been known for really bad traffic, right? Maybe worse in LA. Uh, I would say worse in LA. I've done both. I think I think LA is worse. Yeah. Yeah, LA is definitely worse. It's yeah. too spread out, and okay. it's just all the you know downtown core has a lot of it. All the you know major freeways are just intertwined in downtown core. Uh, Seattle is a much smaller scale in terms of geographic area as well as population. Yeah, but yeah. but it's fast growing, so we definitely yeah. have some you know something some issues to to tackle. But I think what Regina pointed out with the infrastructure is is really special about the this greater Seattle, Seattle area and Puget Sound and how that spurring development is is quite incredible and investor demand for TOD sites transit oriented development is is really great for the alleviation to alleviate kind of the congestion but as well as in terms of the climate. I mean there's there's a lot of research that doing TOD development is, is great for the environment when you're building out density. And so I think that will have a um, <clears throat> significant impact as well as, you know, 20 years, I think that the ESG conversation and climate conversation is going to only continue to grow. You know, I'm originally from California and Southern California specifically, so I'm well aware of the earthquakes and fires. And so when you think about that, Seattle is a, a great area for, in terms of looking long-term with the climate ramifications. Yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll tack on to that just from a 20-year horizon. And Kilroy as a REIT versus kind of a merchant builder does take a longer term approach, maybe not 20 years, but we're looking you know, 10 years plus uh, and a lot of our leases are 
are based around that. But from a housing standpoint, definitely some challenges that we'll face there. When you look at the region, it's definitely supply constrained, bound by water, et cetera. And there's not areas like you historically have had east of LA or that type of thing where you can kind of continue to move and sprawl. And so, you know, that'll be interesting to see how that happens. And as Garrett mentioned, the the TOD densification hopefully will will be the way that we'll, you know, smartly focus on on growth. But from an office standpoint, you kind of look at, at development sites and Kilroy's site, and Ani has a couple of them, both in the Seattle and Bellevue side, you know, these infill core CBD sites are are definitely, there's not a million of them left, right? Like we felt like we got one of the last, that last ones, there's maybe one or two more that are, are that size and scale. So as you start to look at where the office growth and sort of the, the business kind of economic growth is going to be in the region, that's going to be a really interesting one. So I think we'll start to see it popping up around these light rail hubs, U district, you know, not a ton of supply that can be added there, but Northgate definitely is going to, I think, go through a transformation. And then there's this whole conversation of South Seattle, Soto, what'll happen down there. But I think that'll be the kind of the most interesting thing from a kind of forward-looking office standpoint is is where those hubs are going to grow. And obviously the East side spring district, that type of thing has already begun to really rapidly grow. But overall, I think there are different nodes and pockets and areas where the city can add additional supply, but it's something we're trying to track and, and be ahead of the ball on. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're adding on without a doubt, demand in this region is is only increasing for office space and, and will continue, which is a great sign for us in, in the development world. Okay. So, so would you say, I, I was speaking with a, a broker uh, back in Chicago uh, a few weeks ago and I was talking about Seattle, the growth, Amazon, and he goes, okay, it, it's the next Detroit. What do you guys think? <laughs> Tech is the future. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the past. Not the past. Yeah. I, I, I don't remotely see that. I mean, I, I think regardless of what happens with Amazon or the kind of these large companies, and even if there is an antitrust situation that breaks them up, we're seeing enough diversity in the talent, whether it's, you know, increasing gaming companies in Bellevue or like I mentioned, the cloud and AI. And now we're starting to see some of these autonomous vehicle companies that historically have uh, GM Cruise is one of Kilroy's big tenants in the Bay Area. We're starting to see tenants not them, but like them up in the market looking for space. I think there's enough diversity, you know, similar to how, you know, Boeing used to be the big name in town, right? And I think they still on Virginia Chart were the largest employer in the region. Well, obviously they've gone through some uh, issues recently and Amazon and Microsoft have sort of taken their place as, as the bell of the ball. But I think overall, like I said, this the diversity in talent every single year continues to kind of, we have a, a, a larger playing field. So yeah. And actually, uh, even though we said a lot about how heavily concentrated in tech sector Seattle is and has been, you see, actually tech is only, Seattle has a very diversified labor labor market. So tech is only about 10% of the whole labor, of the whole industry. So we also have aerospace. Um, actually, we hire about 6,000 we have about 6,000 employees in this area, just in the aerospace area. Not about Boeing. It's like the Blue Origin uh, in the Kent area. In healthcare, military, higher education, retail is very diversified workforce. Yeah, I think people forget what's the headquarters we have. Microsoft, Amazon, yeah. Boeing. Well, Boeing was, Costco. right? Costco. 
Costco. Yeah. Yeah. Alaska Airlines. Alaska. Yeah. There's Big companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really good companies too. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and those are very strong fundamental companies, you know, like Amazon and uh, Microsoft. Their their market cap has increased about seven times in the last uh, six years. It's just amazing. <laughs> so as housing prices have increased and the region's subject to change in the next five to 10 years, where would you guys pick to live? Downtown Seattle, Bellevue, somewhere else? What, where, where do you think the growth uh, really is? And in that perspective, where do you want to live? I'll go first. Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I live on the Seattle side right now. And, you know, it, for me, it's all a function of kind of where your social network lives, right? And so I didn't have any previous family connections or anything to, to Seattle or the east side when I moved to town. And my friends lived and worked around the Seattle side of the water. So we settled in Ballard, which I think is a really fun. Seattle has a lot of great neighborhoods and, and really fun places to live, as does Bellevue. But I, I think, you know, and this is not for everybody, but a, a lot of people have made the generalization, and I don't disagree with it, that as you're young, single, early on in your kind of relationship, et cetera, you know, being in that Seattle kind of more urban lifestyle, um, you know, might suit you. And then as you have kids and age, Bellevue maybe is a better fit. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, it's smart for companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, et cetera, to have sort of optionality between the two as you, you know, have kids and look at school districts, that type of thing. And I recently had a daughter born three weeks ago, hence why I'm home versus in the office. But it's something that's in, in reality, we're starting to see people in my life stage make that shift over to the east side. And there are things that are appealing and compelling about it. So for me right now, even though I identify as a Seattle person, the east side starts to creep into my mind in terms of some desirability over there. Um, yeah, I'm talking a little bit about that. Yeah, like Tyler alluded to, it's about, you know, what are you looking for? And I think that on the east side, specifically Bellevue, I'm not from here, but Lake Washington School District, I believe is the name, is is one of the great school districts in the state. So that obviously plays a part when you start to have kids going to school and kind of that realm. But like he, like Tyler said, where your social network is and where you like to hang out definitely plays a large part where you want to be. Yeah. Where do you want to be, Garrett? I would probably say Seattle at the moment. Yes. Now is a great neighborhood. We have a site there that we're, we're developing and super excited about it. Cool. So I would live right there. Nice. Yeah. For me, because I have been living on the east side ever since I moved up to Seattle since 2014, 15-ish. So I've been here. Uh, I live in a little town called Newcastle. It's in the, uh, south to Seattle, south to Bellevue, just next to it on the south border. Yeah, I've been, you know, like like you know that I have been living in the West Coast in the last 10, 11 years. I lived in L.A. before, San Francisco before, and now Seattle. Compared to all these cities that I've lived in, I would say Seattle is, a, is the best. <laughs> so I will continue living here in the next probably decade or so. Even though I sometimes miss the sunshine in the Bay Area. But overall, it's a lot of trees here, very green, evergreen city, and in the overall living quality in the cost of uh, housing here, compared, relatively speaking, <laughs> compared to San Francisco is still still better. So well, you, you live in Bellevue? No, Newcastle. 
It's a little town um, south to Bellevue. Yeah, so you live in Bellevue oh, side, Bellevue correct? area. Yeah, yeah, yeah east east side, east on the east side area. of the uh, Washington Lake. Yeah, yeah. in the Bellevue area, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Well, I was going to say OSLU, but um, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, with regard to people here talk about housing prices increasing. I mean, that's correct. But if you come from an area such as California or from abroad, the prices here are, are not stick of shock at all. And so I think that going forward, you say five, 10 years is going to have a large impact. For example, Bellevue is a city with 150,000 foot. Yep. And uh, they're going to have 25,000 minimum, you know, Amazon employees, add the yep. Facebook, add all the additional service workers that are coming. And, and that city in the next five years is going to pretty much double. So does it have the yep. capacity for that right now with the supply? Most certainly not. Will it be built? Most certainly not. There's going to be some, but it's, it's definitely going to have an impact on the region, not just in the, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three, but even further out. So it's definitely interesting to watch and, and great for the area. Great. Exactly. We don't have many lands here in Seattle. We are bounded by water and mountains. And on the east side, you know, we like take uh, use Bellevue as an example. The Bellevue, the Bell Red Corridor. We're talking about rezone that corridor for a long, long time. And so far, it's just making a little bit progress. And only about three five mixed use or complex has been built so far. And it's it's just, uh, we have some urban growth boundary in the area. I just see a housing crisis in the next five to 10 years, for sure. <laughs> it's good good for us, right? I'd like to build some more quicker. That'd be nice. Yeah, if we can move <laughs> things about. along a little faster, that'd be helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think this is probably a, everything just really really great to have you guys all on and really great background thank you uh we get a little bit of perspective from residential office and capital markets minja thank you for having us oh thank you so much and we have questions from the audience now let's move on to the q a session mm -hmm. so i think one of the speakers or all of you mentioned about the limited supply of or want to move things faster. And this question is about modular construction. Do you see any new construction methods such as modular construction development in Seattle? Yeah, I mean, I'll speak to that. We're always trying to stay innovative on the construction side. For example, you know, I'll get back to the answer to that, but we're doing a light gauge construction as well project. So that's kind of the in-between between wood and type one. Um, concrete. And so with regard to modular, there was a hotel that was built. And so whenever you build something, you need to make sure it's, you know, permitted correctly. So I think there was a learning curve with that with the city. And so I think that going forward, we'll see more of it. But it seemed like a few, I think it was a hotel that was modular. It definitely took a lot longer, I believe, than what they anticipated due to either, you know, city holdups or maybe supply, supply chain. But Is it's a great that's citizen M. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that there was maybe some mold uh, when it got shipped in too from, from Europe. So yeah, yeah not, I don't know. Modular might not be the right thing, but I think on the residential single family side that that's appealing, especially yeah. with what California, I believe Oregon are doing with the ADUs and the, mm -hmm. the one, two and three, four quadplexes. I think that, 
bringing that to the to the region will will help alleviate some of the constraints to supply. So I hope that the cities are are welcoming to that and staying innovative. We really need some innovation in the uh, kind of the city realm with regard to getting more supply online. From an office perspective, I don't. I, I think modular in the way the question was asked is probably more applicable to you know residential versus office, but. Um, we are, and Kilroy is less IRR focused, so we're not trying to get it done as quick as possible. We'd rather build, you know, an asset that we can hold long term and focus more on stabilized yield as opposed to, you know, quickly uh, getting through our IRR focused um, metrics. But that being said, we are definitely looking at different technologies as well. I think two of which that come to mind. The first is MKA, a structural engineering firm, has sort of pioneered the speed core design. Rainier Square, a large kind of mixed-use project in Seattle has. And I'm, again, on the investment side, not the development side, so don't quote me on the tech for it. But basically, the way that they're able to build the core uh, allows a critical path to move forward, you know, significantly faster than a you know standard way of building the core. So that's something that we're looking at, um, you know, just from a technology efficiency standpoint in our construction process. The other one is mass timber, which can work well for office. And obviously, it's a it's a, a hot topic, and everybody's talking about it. We're probably unlikely to to be pioneers in this particular region, but we are starting to integrate it into some of our projects, which allows you know either a quicker assembly on site or you know for us we're very focused on sustainability and we're we've committed to climate neutral operations actually at the end of last year our full portfolio is carbon neutral which is exciting so using mass timber as sort of a carbon sink has been an effective way to do that for us that that can result as we continue to see it adopted and the city gets more comfortable with it definitely can shape time off your construction timeline as well Mm -hmm. great Thank you so much. Logan, do you want to add on that or we can ask the next question? Yeah, I think for Ani's standpoint, I think we'd look at it. We range a lot from large-scale development, high-rise, mixed-use, office, and then a lot of more in Vancouver, some single-family homes and and smaller multifamily scale. I think we would consider it. Uh, again, I don't think we'd be the first to test it out in the market for mm-hmm. if we're looking at timber structure. I think a lot of office is typically built with uh, with steel, and, and we do a lot of concrete. So it's a little bit different in that that standpoint as well. We're our own GC, so we try to take as much under our arm as possible. The same with, with property management. So I think we would consider it. I th- often it starts to become that conversation with a tenant and what's if it's office um, or residence, what do they want, right? And what leases? And and so for office, for, for even like lead standpoint, we look at that and, and kind of how, how does that drive value in, in some way? So I think it's, again, if, if you can get more density and you can't do that with, with timber in certain areas, probably wouldn't look to it. But in certain areas that the, the density is, it can be supported with, mass timber, I think we'd look at it and look at the construction cost and uh, weigh it out there. Mm-hmm. So so definitely, I could see it in the future. Probably not not yet for Seattle, at least. We did just see a mass timber building on the east side, kind of in Kirkland, be constructed and it fit kind of into what Logan's talking about in a less dense environment where you don't have to go up, you know, 20 stories. But we just saw that deliver and get leased by Robin Hood and it was built oh. by a local high net worth uh, individual and his investment firm. So anyway, been fun to see that. It's a beautiful building. And, and I, guess, I guess it goes to show that when you're in that space and you see the wood and whatnot, uh, you know, I think it will lease, you know, if it's 
built in the right way and, and economics makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we think one more point to add on, which we didn't cover in the earlier discussion, but uh, we talked about speed of delivery for modular, but also costs. I mean, construction costs, like everywhere else in the country, have just risen dramatically over the last five years, uh, you know, due to all the development and demand. So eventually, maybe modular, I don't know the pricing of it, haven't done that um, research yet, but if, if the price becomes a certain factor, then that would be definitely considered as well as the, the timeline to to first units delivered. Yeah, and I think to add add to that, right? So a lot of the components of multifamily become um, not not necessarily modular, but you start to stack it, right? And mm-hmm. you're buying out those, let's say, cabinets that are going to be almost modular, that you're, you're kind of pulling that in and just replicating it all the way up. So you do start to, to build that in, less with the structure, but I, I think the more of the components within the building, especially when you get a larger scale, it starts to become more like a prefabricated um, components you just kind of plug in. Yeah, I, I actually have some friend who were talking about doing development in uh, modular home development in Las Vegas, actually. I, I need to double check, but <laughs> just because of the timeline, like Tyler mentioned, it's, I think the most benefit is, is a short time period of you know completion. So you can even assemble overseas and ship via containers to the U.S. That saves a lot of time. But for the Seattle area, I haven't seen a lot. And I think the most constraint here is my personal view is still the land and as well as zoning. So it's not it's less about the cost of material or the time period to build the actual building. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I love how we mentioned Las Vegas in the Seattle <laughs> panel. <laughs> and I guess everybody loves topics about development and construction. And the next question is, the panelists spoke about a lot of the new developments in Seattle area. Do you guys see any adaptive reuse projects converting old buildings to another asset type or another use? So, so I'll start with that. We, we've been buying some, some sites with existing buildings, um, as most people, right? When you're looking to develop a less parking lots at this standpoint with, with Seattle, one of our sites, we are, we're using the historic facade within the office building and, and actually using that as part of the restaurant and potential other retail within the outside of the office building. So kind of keeping that and then allowing the, the office building to kind of puncture and, and come up through the that facade. So not necessarily repurposed buildings to the larger scale. I think it's, for us, it's been maybe a little bit more challenging when trying to add density with upzoning. It's hard to, to convert a building without really impacting the, the, the structure to build on top of it in some, some way. So we, I've seen that. Um, and in Seattle, that's my exposure. I've also seen in other markets where you might keep the historic facade and, and cut it 10 feet back and then build a high rise above it. But I'd be curious. I don't know. I think there's some tricky sites. I don't know how much historic preservation compared to other cities with Seattle being maybe a newer market compared to maybe East Coast, if it runs into that much historic preservation I don't know, Garrett? Uh, yeah, a couple of examples. So first, similar to, to Logan, our downtown development site has a 64,000 square foot historic building built in the 1920s called the Lloyd Building. Ours is a little different that it's <clears throat> 10 stories tall. And so 
you can't just keep the facade on 10 stories and slap the new building on. So what we're doing is actually keeping the individual floor to floors throughout that building, preserving them all, and then tacking our new building onto the back of it through a series of very complex stairs that I'm glad I don't have to be the architect that had to figure it out. But anyway, so that's going to be really interesting. And we think kind of a really fun, interesting component when the two buildings come together. But the other two that I'm thinking of, obviously in our world, life science conversion is a huge topic right now as we're seeing the booming life science ecosystem. And quite frankly, the capital behind life science real estate investment hungry for space and in the Seattle market and across the coast. And so, yeah, we're definitely seeing a number of older buildings um, that have the adequate floor to floor live load capacity being either pitched as repurposed potential for life science or actually going forward with that. We're doing it elsewhere in our Kilroy portfolio. We don't have any in Seattle right now. And then the other one that's kind of interesting is the Coleman building is down in kind of Seattle's South CBD Pioneer Square building, Pioneer Square submarket. Unico recently purchased that an old kind of office building that could use a a refresh and and a renovation. And so Kilroy looked at that, you know, can we take it and repurpose it as an office building? They've recently come out with plans to actually convert that into residential units, which I think is kind of interesting, Um, just given where the market's at and whatnot. So definitely something that we're seeing up here in the market and tracking. And I think the majority of kind of repurposing conversions that you'll see is going to be kind of from that historic old office or, or, or less functional office into life science use. Yeah, I should have mentioned Smith Tower too, right? Unico did that kind of conversion with was once the tallest building in Seattle and has like a really neat condo up or maybe condo or residential building a unit and the, the peak of it. It's kind of nice yeah, cool. down, down there. Mm-hmm. Great. That is all of the questions I got from the audience. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable insights about the Seattle market. And we look forward to host another panel maybe next year and see how Seattle market has changed, you know, in the future years. So thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks everyone. everyone. Awesome. Have a good Thank Friday. You. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.